God, thank you for thank you for this community um, that's gathered here. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you, Spirit, for being in this place and um, pressing into each of our hearts individually and calling on us into something bigger together. And sometimes it's a mystery, sometimes it's frustrating, um, but sometimes we see the beauty of your intention in creation and for your people. And so we're excited about that. We're excited to participate in that. Um, in whatever place we're coming in from, um, we look and we wanna take a posture of receiving from you. So I pray that that can happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. Oh man, I need more energy than that because I'm feeling tired. I need a boost. God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing in our the decolonizing the church, deconstructing, rethinking, or renewing. Um, so we've had quite the journey and uh, never not knew that I was a historian, but I've been doing a lot of historical research and um, it's been fun, right? I think it's been fun. Maybe it's been challenging. Um, it's been challenging to me. And I've been reading a lot of articles, reading a lot of books and listening to podcasts out there and they've uh, been really convicting for me. And I think God has something to say to us as a church, um, but also it's a, it's a moment in, I think, the North American church right now to be changed, um, to be challenged prophetically um, and be transformed because we're in a time where, you know, what one church professes or one body professes doesn't seem to be the same as what another church or body professes. And in the midst of that, uh, our country's divided, people continue to be hurt or alienated, injustice continues. And so um, I think that's uh, something that we are uh, trying to engage, trying to be a part of. Are you with me, church? Amen. Awesome. And so we've, the last, you know, kind of few weeks that I've been speaking on this series, uh, we've been talking about colonialism and phrases and words like white supremacy and how that has impacted uh, church, the church and church culture. And in fact, it's maybe sometimes the very air that we breathe and we can't even escape out of it. It's what we know. It's what we've come up in. And we're kind of like slightly gently kind of prodding the bear, right? Like, maybe we should rethink this, or maybe this isn't God's intention, or this isn't scriptural at all. And kind of challenging our structures, our traditions, um, power dynamics in the church, and um, how, how sometimes we have tended to bend God's word or bend God into our image of God rather than to be bent by the Spirit to, as images of God. 
And so that's what we're about. And uh, we're going to make a turn from uh, the colonized church and white supremacy and how that kind of influences the church to patriarchy in the next few, three, four weeks. And those are, I'm going to try to make kind of the turn uh, to see the tie, you know, make a connection um, in, in that. And uh, I'm hopefully we'll have Jessica come in a couple weeks and paint a vision um, of what we could, a community that is alternate, alternative to that could look like. But I'm going to have a very general, like this week, this Sunday is going to be kind of general and like maybe philosophical, but hopefully we can, each of you can kind of be like, I see that and that's my experience and resonate. Uh, with those things, but let's jump in. Are you with me? <laughs> let's jump in and see what, what we do. And I've had a busy week and um, not a lot of sleep, so uh, be gracious to me, which you guys are all the time because I go on tangents. But, <laughs> but if we want to dive more deeply into a conversation of colonialism and the church, um, we have to understand first some dynamics of power and control, right? So I'm gonna give kind of a generalized history, very, way, way, way generalized, way right, like not a right, not like specific, um, but a very crucial time in the church, right? We read the Bible, we read Acts, we talk about disciples of Jesus. And, and if you remember, there was, um, what's the word, P word, persecution, right? The people, the followers of the way, the disciples of Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven was a story of persecution. And Israel was under the shadow of the Roman Empire. And Christians, if you remember in Acts, they were in hiding, right? Fearful with the doors closed. Even the disciples, after the death of Jesus Christ, were behind closed doors for fear. Somewhere along the line, way, around 3rd century BC, right, Emperor Constantine. Constantine had a conversion into Christianity. Maybe it was a real conversion. Maybe it was more for political purposes. I'll let the experts argue about that. Uh, but he comes into Christ, to the way, and then makes Christianity the official state religion, right? The official religion for the empire. And so a lot of historians call that time period the Constantinian shift, right? Where, in effect, you go from being a persecuted church to being, right, this is the church of the empire. Right? And the em emperor is even, even kind of forcing Christianity upon people as the official religion of the church. And so what you have is uh, the way people following Jesus from underneath, right, in hiding, in persecution, marginalized, running from the powers that be, to Christianity being on top, right, representing the power of the empire, representing the emperor. And so that's a huge flip, right? We can see that flip. And that's leads to what we call Christendom, 
right? And then, right, the Roman Empire, Roman Catholic Church, Europe, right? Colonialism, the US, Americas, boom, boom, boom. And we talked about the uh, doctrine of discovery here. You can look it up if you weren't here that week. Um, so the Constantinian shift. And this has always been interesting to me because I think there's a big difference from faith from below, right, from underneath, and an institutionalized church from above representing, right, the social and political power of the time. Do you see the difference, right? And so, for instance, let's take Exodus. If you take Exodus, Exodus is very rich in meaning, right? God delivers his people, the Hebrews, from slavery in Egypt and promises them a land, right? Come and I'll take you to the promised land. But, um, and so the Exodus, for instance, takes, has very rich meaning and carries a lot of weight in the African-American church, the black church, right? Because there's a natural like, yes, right? God is about freedom. God is, you know, take, freeing us from the chains of slavery, freeing us from the oppressor and moving us to a place of hope, a place of freedom, right? Or in the Latin American church, right? There's, you know, the same liberation theology. God is, Jesus is about freeing us from the bonds of oppression. So that's faith from underneath. Right. Um, as a side note, in theology, all of those kind of black theology or liberation theology or, you know, uh, different theologies from different cultures and nations are considered like on the side. Right. It's not theology. Right. Dead white European guys. It's oh liberation theology over there. Oh, black theology over there. Um, but it hasn't historically taken center. Right. The center space. And so, faith from below versus institutionalized church from above. Are you with me, church, so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in this journey and promise, however, right, if you take the Exodus, there's notions of being God's chosen people and the promise of becoming a great nation of God. But if you are a nation of power, for instance, a people of power and empire, and co-opt it, you co-opt this story from the wrong context, that from a position of power, from above, this can lead to dangerous nationalized Christianity. And we, some of you might have experienced that, right? Or hear about that, or you can have you know, someone, yeah, anyways, we won't go into that right now. Um, so a dangerous nationalized Christianity. And in the same way as power, right, those in control co-opt, right, the, the story from underneath of being the people of God and saying, we are the people of God, we are the nation of God, right? Uh, that's a means of justifying different forms of control or different forms of we can discover this place and now it's ours. We can, dis 
we can go to these people and we are over them, right? We're superior to them. And in the same way, I think globally, but also, but also in the history of the church, in the history of our politics, in the history of our society in North America, um, patriarchy has been tied to that same um, stream of power, right? It's a way, it has been a way um, specifically overlaid on Western Christianity as a means of power and control over women and people of color. Am I wading too deep? Right? We're going to class. <clears throat> it's interesting, I read an article, and, and the writer's last name was Bianco, uh, and her article, I think it's, yeah, her article was called uh, The Colonization of Mars. The Race to Mars, The Colonization of Mars. And she's talking about, you know, uh, Elon Musk and what's the SpaceX? And then who's the other guy? Boeing or Microsoft guy? Bezos. Bezos, yeah. We're building a rocket to God, right? And you can hit the next slide. This is my little sermon. Boom. Um, and the point of the, the article is man, this kind of chasing after undiscovered territories and racing to that place is just another example of colonialism, right? And patriarchy saying, if I have the means and the resources, there's no accountability. If I discover it, it's mine, right? If I'm the first there, then I can claim it. And it's this unchecked kind of no accountability like, I have the privilege and an entitlement to go where I please, right? I have the means, I can go where I please, and since I can go where I please, I own it, right? And I think um, in reflecting on this and as she's tying it to patriarch our culture of patriarchy in the United States, for instance, it really, it really hit me, right? This race to settle Mars uh, while the Earth is burning below. Right? Let's go find another place to destroy, right? In fact, we're probably responsible for the earth burning, right? We, we knocked down all the building blocks of those kids, I'm just, and the blocks are burning. I'm just going to go, right, to the Costco in the sky and get more blocks. And those blocks are going to be mine, and I'm going to build whatever I want with those blocks. How is that, right? And she's making the connection to kind of the colonial movement, right? And a part of patriarchy and white supremacy. Woo! Have you ever heard these words in the church before? I'm getting excited saying them. Um, but, uh, so the settling of Mars. And as I was reflecting on this, you know, I was thinking about the Tower of Babel. You guys know the Tower of Babel story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 12. Let us make a tower to God and make, let us make a great name for ourselves. And if you look, the pattern of the let us do this, let us do this, is the same as creation, right? In Genesis, let us make this, you know, darkness and light, and there was day and night, right? And the God said, right, this is good. Let us make humanity in our own image, right? The let us is 
But now, human beings are co-opting those words of creation, not as kind of a, in the image of God we are creating, but as co-opting the creator and saying, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make something good. Let us continue to savor and eat and chew the cud of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and let's do whatever we want to get there just because we can. And there have been writers who wrote about that in the context of like, what does it take to build such a tower, right? All the rock, all the resources, all the materials, all the labor, right, needed. And so I know we have like a sweet children's message there, but people are people, right? Whether we're kids or adults, what it takes is that we knock down everyone else's blocks and take those blocks for our, right, our agenda, our mission to build our tower on. Are you with me, church? And what does God end up doing? God ends up saying, oh no, this ain't happening, right? No way, you little pipsqueaks, right? Let us confuse their languages, right? Make them speak different languages and so that they'll scatter, right? They can't, right? You don't have the language of the empire to kind of rule this mission, this project, right? Let's confuse it and then people have to scatter and a lot of times we say, oh, this culture making is a curse, right? And it's not a curse. It's actually a blessing, right? It's God's response to uh, humanity messing up again, right? By, by mixing up the languages and spreading, it's actually a part, a continuance, right? Some, uh, a gift, a grace that helps to continue God's original mandate in the first place right? Scatter, go out, flourish, be multiplied. Are you with me, church? Is it making sense? I'm not being heretical or non-biblical. Okay. Um, so they scattered. And that way, later on, you have the nations and stuff like that, different languages. And um, God, kind of everything's back in order. But this idea of um, hierarchy and power versus kind of the egalitarian or the hor making horizontal um, these structures, I think is the challenge of the church, is the challenge of society because sometimes we're like, it's way easier for, uh, for one person to just tell us what to do right? One person that's very confident and has a very clear message of what's right and wrong and will follow that person, right? In Seattle, as free as we are, right, we're, we're very susceptible to people like that, right? I have one way, this is the way to follow Jesus, follow me. I have a vision. Or leaders, you know, history is full of leaders who come in and say this this is the way and people are like oh, oh it doesn't matter like who gets hurt 
what buses run over what bodies, right? It's happening. It's happening. And sometimes that's more efficient or that's a more uh, a way to, to find glory or kind of wield power versus what I think happens when a body, a group of people are spirit-led, things kind of spread out horizontally more, right? Your structure become more horizontal. It becomes more collaborative. More people are listened to. Gifts begin to emerge. Voices, the voices of the children are heard. Jesus saying, come, let the children come to me, right? Uh, it's not just one guy up here, you know, a celebrity pastor saying, come to my church, this is, this is my way, but it's, it's different people collaborating and voices coming together. And when the Spirit, we see that, when the Spirit is moving historically or even in the church, in, the, uh, in Acts, it's a great example. The Spirit is always behind the advent of the church, right? The church, the birth of the church and the growth of the church from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. Behind that is the actor, Holy Spirit God, that's moving and empowering and giving uh, the power of both hearing and speaking, interpretation, and opening up, breaking down boundaries. Like this is not just a nationalistic or ethnic uh, religion right faith in jesus jesus shows no partiality he's the jesus is our peace who's come to break down the barriers of hostility there is no jew or gentile right jesus and the holy spirit is breaking down these boundaries and all along people are like what 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 they they're eating pork right or wait they had the they had holy spirit first but they weren't baptized and they weren't circumcised like that's the wrong order. But the Holy Spirit has come and just boom, 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 boom. All of our expectations, all of the boxes we make and the rules and the tradition to bend people into like, this is the way. The Holy Spirit is like, this is my way. Boom. Amen. So the eagle and the fish, or what's the, what's the real bird name for Seahawk? Seattle Seahawks, the bird, Osprey. Oh yeah, I like the bag. Osprey, so sometimes when I go to Magnuson Park or other places, you'll see a Seahawk and, or an eagle, and you'll see it like swoop down and just like take up a fish. And it's, it's always, it always brings me to my feet in awe of creation. Because usually, maybe sometimes I'm just fishing there, right? And I'm catching nothing. But this eagle or this osprey from miles above can spot a moving fish and then like calibrate its strike to catch it in its talons in motion, in dynamic motion. That's amazing, right? And, and that's the thing. If the bird is aiming for a moving fish, which itself is living in an aquatic world in motion, it's not stagnant, right? The fish isn't like, we are fish just floating here. 
as a two-dimensional mural, right? They're fish in three dimensions with all the nooks and crannies and all the you know, seaweed and whatever plants are there and the rocks and the barnacles and the coral and whatever. We don't have coral, do we, in Washington? Anyways, but they're like in motion and the eagle from far above sees that fish and can anticipate not where it is, but where it will be, right? And adjust as it's flying down, as the fish is moving. That's life. That's motion. And that is the intention of creator God, right? Is we are in motion. We are in dynamic life. Scripture is alive. It's not just etched in stone, used to defend dogmatic tradition, right? Scripture is alive, and when we are gathered around the Word of God in community, especially in diverse community, and the Spirit is moving, we are shaped by one another and shaped by one another's experiences, voices, input, Amen? That's how it's supposed to be. Not one dominant culture or one dominant way saying, this is how we've always read scripture. This is how these are the rules, right, of our institutionalized religion. And if you break those rules, you're outside of the community, right? And that's what happens when you don't have the eagle or osprey's eye. When you don't have the eagle or osprey's eye and you see the fish as stagnant or you want the fish to be stagnant because you don't have the skills or the creativity or the ability to be like, I can see things in motion, right? You're just like, I need that fish. You fish stay right here and you fish stay right here. And rock, don't move, and waves and tides, like, chill out for a second, because I got to know where you are, because I need to control this world. And that's what we do, right? And that's what the colonized church has done. And that's what patriarchy does. It orders things and puts things in their place and says, this is righteous, and this is unrighteous. This is clean, and this is unclean. This is right, and this is wrong, and kind of a dualistic, right, rules-based thing in order to maintain structures of control and power, right? And as I, as I talk about this, I know that sometimes we're like, we're really into it, like, yeah, he's making sense. Yeah, let's go. And then we drive away and we're like, that's, too, that's way out there, right? Like, what are we going to do about it? Or am I being brainwashed by Pastor Dave? Like, is this really true, right? Is the matrix really the matrix, right? But I invite all of you to continue uh, to do, read the Bible, to do research, uh, to Google Use your chat GPT, look up things, right? And, and, and write me, email me, um, and challenge me on some of these things. Um, but I think one of the kind of um, evidences of our 
kind of patriarchal influences on God and church is the Trinity itself, right? We're like, you know, in all of, we, 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 some, some churches recite the Nicene Creed in our, in our values and our statements, doctrinal statements on our websites. We say, we believe in the Trinity, right? But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? But when it comes to really application of how we see God, I think it's more dyadic, right? Two things, right? Here's God the Father, right? Father, who's male, and Jesus, the son, who is the father's only begotten male child, right? And then the Holy Spirit is kind of like, is the Holy Spirit a she, right? And that should the Holy Spirit be she, but you never see anyone saying her or she for the Holy Spirit. We just kind of are like it, right? The Holy Spirit. Father, son, and I know Jesus is the historic, right? He's male. He's placed in history, the particularity of Christ. But we still like the, the father, the son, that, li that lineage, that line, and somehow the Holy Spirit is like, uh, does those things over there, <laughs> right? But in the scripture, in our doctrine of the Trinity, our, our theology of Trinity, right? Let us, at creation, God is like, let us, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, right? There is present Jesus, Spirit, Creator, right? As one, as fully God. Three persons in one, right? And, um... So what is the Holy Spirit? God. And Jesus, that's the message he leaves with the disciples, right? As he goes, he ascends after his resurrection. He's like, wait here for the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's the promise. I am sending an advocate. I am sending the Holy Spirit. That, that is God real time. That is God real with the eagle eye watching you, looking upon you. Are you with me, church? The spirit is osprey God. Able to, right, the ultimate AI, but not AI, God, right, that can hold all of this data and moving, the moving parts in the world and all of creation and humanity and all the churches and communities and all the political movements can hold that data and anticipate motion as well. The osprey eye of the Holy Spirit in real time. And the problem is we throw that away for what we can hold on to. Yes, I know this is true. Or yes, this works and succeeds in the world. I, I, I don't want to trust that. Right? Right? We can, like, what are we supposed to do? Are we going to, like, overthrow everything? Right? Just crush the church? Right? Deconstruct everything? Like, what, what is the end of this sermon series? Like, let's go home. 
but I think what God, the Spirit, has been pressing on me is that we need to lean into Spirit God and be Spirit-led in what we do and consider that there is mystery or consider that not one person holds all the answers or not one group of people hold the vision of something or not one person can discern completely the ways of God and the Spirit. That we're a church that begins to have our languages mixed, right? And our towers broken down and we begin to pick up the pieces, right? And the Holy Spirit is the universal translator in Star Trek, right? And begins to allow us to work together. We have to work together. We have to listen to one another. We have to acknowledge everyone's backgrounds and differences and the multiplicity of gifts among us and begin to say, ah, oh, Oh, let's, let's bring that piece over here. Let's bring that over here. Wow, this is what God is doing amidst us. This is what God is doing. And I'll close with this. You know, being a church planter, the founder of Renew for 10 years now, like the whole kind of culture of church planting and lead pastoring, right? Inherent in that is that it starts with a man, right? A man with the vision, the gift, the calling, and the competence. That's the three, right? And somehow my vision and my understanding and my gifts are enough to create something that will last for a hundred years, Right? And that's my legacy, building the kingdom, spreading our seed out there, right? That's, that's the colonial patriarchal line, right? But what does it look like to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to God, what God is doing in our midst, and to kind of break down um, those, those means of control and power, right? And I know God is working when I am flipping insecure, right? And you don't know how, ins- like I don't tell you guys all the time, but I feel raw almost every day and insecure. Even as the church is growing and all, you know, new people are coming, I'm like, <gasps> Right? And all these gifts, gifted people are showing up. What do we do? What do we do, Dave? The thing I feel is raw and insecure, and I want to run because I don't know what to do. And I don't know if my competence, my education, and my ability can hold this together. And you know what God, the Spirit, is saying is that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that's the right path. Just walk in that direction and you'll be okay. I've got you. I've got this. And if more of our leaders, 
more of our pastors, more of our political leaders, our governments, you know, responded in that way, I believe we would, this world would be a better place to live. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the people that are gathered here and uh, just, the, just the multiplicity and beauty of your creation. We love you and um, we want to be bent um, by you and your spirit. Um, forgive us for the ways that we try to make you into our image um, for our idolatries. And will you reveal those to us as individuals so that we can better become your body and church together? In Jesus' name, amen.